I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. And now from the third chapter starting at verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And then from the fourth chapter beginning at verse (coughs) 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. 
In this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgement because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love but perfect love, love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Thanks be to God for this reading from his word, which Carl will now unpack for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you've spoken to us. Uh, thank you that you've caused your words to be written down and preserved for us so that we can read them. Thank you for the Apostle John and for this letter that he wrote uh, so that uh, our joy might be complete, so that we might know that we belong to you. And Father, we pray that as we look at these words this morning that we would know that, that we, you would grant us assurance of salvation uh, or Lord, that you would grant us to know that we don't belong to you uh, and so drive us to flee to the cross and to your mercy in Jesus Christ. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. One of my uh, favourite Shakespeare plays is Much Ado About Nothing, uh, which is a bit odd. It's a, it's a romantic kind of comedy. I don't know why that's my favourite, but I think it's because Benedict is a confirmed bachelor and, uh, uh, and there's, a, there's a plot afoot uh, by uh, Benedict's friends to turn him and I can't think of the other lady's name, but uh, to, to match them up together. But there's a wonderful speech uh, where Benedict muses on the powerful ability of love to transform a soldier into an oyster. That is a man into a kind of a, you know, a kind of a, a floppy person uh, driven by love. And he says, I do much wonder that one man, seeing how much another man is a fool when he dedicates his behaviours to love, will after he hath laughed at such shallow follies in others, become the argument of his own scorn by falling in love. And such a man is Claudio. I have known when there was no music with him but the drum and the fife. Uh, but, and now he had rather hear the tabor and the pipe. I have known when he would have walked ten mile afoot to see a good armour. And now he will lie ten nights awake, carving the fashion of a new doublet. He was wont to speak plain and to the purpose, like an honest man and a soldier. And now he has turned orthography. His very words are a fantastical banquet, just so many strange dishes. May I be so converted and see with these eyes? I cannot tell. I think not. I will not be sworn. But love may transform me to an oyster. But I'll take my oath on it. Till he have made me an oyster, he shall never make me such a fool. Well, it's a wonderful speech, uh, isn't it? about the transforming power of uh, love. And love is in our world everywhere, isn't it? It's everywhere and yet at the same time it's nowhere. 
It's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. It's the great theme of our books and television shows and films and artwork. The greatest thing, says Ewan McGregor in Moulin Rouge, is just uh, to be loved. Was it just to love and to be loved in return? Love is the great theme of our society. Love is the great hope for many people's lives. Well, we've been working through the letter of 1 John in the last few weeks and asking the question, am I a, a true Christian? What are the marks of a true Christian? Not everybody who says that they're a true Christian is really a Christian, just like not every country that says that they're a democracy is actually a democracy, like the Democratic Republic of Congo, for instance. But John says that love is a central mark of the Christian life. It's a different kind of love to the kind of love that turns men into oysters but it's love nonetheless. John begins uh, in the passage that we read this morning that Mary read for us, he begins by highlighting the centrality of the love command in the Christian life. Uh, Last week we saw that people who know Jesus and who belong to Jesus are people who follow Jesus. They not only trust in in, uh, Christ to be reconciled to God but they also want to be like Christ. They They want to live as he lived. And now John goes on to show the most important way in which that's true. It's in terms of this command to love one another. This is not a new command, John says. It's an old one. So verse 7, Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. That message he makes clear in 3.11. This is the message that you heard from the beginning. What is it? We should love one another. It's an old message and yet somewhat confusingly it's also a new message. Verse 8, Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. How can it be an old message and a new message at the same time? That's a bit strange. The answer, I I think, is is that the, the, the standard of love, the command to love is the same, but the standard of love is the new, the new part. So the first, the second half of the verse explains the first. I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. That is, Jesus is the ultimate example of what love is. To know Christ, to be in Christ, to be bound up with Christ, to trust Christ and to follow Christ is to be intimately acquainted with the love of God for humanity which he has shown in Jesus Christ. So this love command is central to the Christian life. It's key. It's so central, says John, that if we see love for our fellow Christians in our lives, then we can truly know that we belong to Jesus. So look at chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Or 3 verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. How can we know? We can know because we love our brothers. Brothers is a term used in the Bible uh, not for generic family but 
uh, for the whole family of Christians, the family of believers, the people who know Jesus, both men and women, you might say brothers and sisters in Christ. Seeing love for our fellow Christians is a, uh, in our life is so powerful, says John, that when we see it, it sets our hearts at rest about the day of judgment. So chapter 3 verse 19, this then is how we know that we belong to, truth, uh, belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in the presence of God whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. How do we, how do we set our hearts at rest in the presence of God when we think about the presence of God? We do it by seeing the love of God that he works in us. Chapter 4, verse 17, in this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgement because in this world we are like him. When we're like Christ, when we're like God, when, when his love flows out of our lives, it gives us confidence about the day of judgement. Are you struggling with a lack of assurance? Then this love test is so important. Am I a Christian? Is there love in your life? Finding love for your fellow Christians can set your heart at rest and give you that joy of knowing that you belong to Jesus. So when we see love, we can have confidence and we can have joy and we can know that we belong to Christ. But if, on the other hand, we find a lack of love for our fellow Christians, then that means that the love of God isn't in us, that we don't really know Christ, that we haven't really grasped the gospel, that we haven't fled to the cross. So chapter 1 verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. No, chapter 2, sorry. Chapter 2 verse 9 or chapter 2 verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Or 3 verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers, but anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. It's not enough, John says, to say, but I love God because John says the person who claims that they love God but who hates their brother or sister, their fellow Christian, is a liar and doesn't know God. 4 verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So you might have great feelings for God, John says. You might, you might be able to come to church and sing uh, songs with all your heart and with great gusto and feel overcome with peace and joy. But if you don't have any love for your fellow Christians, your brothers and sisters in Christ, then John says, no matter what you feel when you're singing those songs, you don't know God. You might be making great sacrifices for God in your life, giving up all kinds of things, smashing idols. You might go to the other side of the world as a missionary. But if you don't love your fellow Christians, John says, then you don't know God and the love of God isn't in you. 
But I love God. No. How can you love God whom you've not seen if you don't love God's family who you can see? Love for our Christian brothers and sisters confirms that we know Jesus and indifference and the lack of love toward our Christian brothers and sisters confirms that we don't really know Jesus. So what does Christian love look like and what does hatred and indifference look like? Well, let's start with the depressing side. Let's start with hatred and indifference. John gives us uh, some help in testing ourselves to see whether that's the shape and the character of our life. So in chapter 3 he gives us the example of Cain right from the very beginning of the Bible. John says, Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Cain resented Abel's righteousness. Cain resented Abel's love for God. So what did he do? He murdered his brother. He killed him. That's how much he resented him. Do you resent people uh, because they care about what's right? Do you resent people because... They care about what's wrong and not doing that. Do you resent people because they love God? Perhaps you resent them because they love God more than you and they make you look shabby. Do you resent them because they want to shape their life around Jesus? Again, the issue is particularly resentment of other Christians. If you resent anyone, that's a problem. But if you resent a fellow Christian, someone that Jesus has died for, then John says that shows there's a deep spiritual problem and you haven't grasped the gospel. Because if Jesus loves them, then you should love them as well. I think the problem though for us is that hatred and resentment are hard to see. I mean, that might sound a bit of a strange thing to say, but it's true, isn't it? We so easily are blind to our own hatreds and our own resentments. Uh, mainly because, unlike Cain, we're probably not driven to murder. We might be, and it's disturbing when that happens. One of the most sobering conversations I've ever had with someone is when they were describing to me how they came home to find their daughter being murdered by her husband. It can end like that, can't it? Resentment and hatred, unconfessed, and undealt with can end very badly. But our middle class sensibilities means that it's unlikely that our hatred and resentment will end up in a fist fight or even a war of words. It's just not the done thing, is it? Instead, our hatred lies buried deep within our hearts and it still drives and shapes our lives. I was listening to a talk uh, a little while ago uh, and the preacher was talking about, I was asking the question, how do we do hatred uh, and lovelessness in Australian society? And he said, one of the key ways that we do hatred and resentment in Australia is distance. 
We don't like somebody, so we keep our distance. It's a very kind of polite and middle class way of doing resentment. We don't have to do the nasty words or the fist fight in the car park. We just quietly slip away. In that same sermon, uh, the uh, preacher told a story of his early pastoral ministry. Uh, it's a haunting story. Uh, and a woman who came to him and said, someone in this uh, group did something that offended me. I think I'll just quietly slip away. Just quietly go. And he said, if you run now, you'll be running for the rest of your life. We've all been there, I think, haven't we? We've all wanted to go. But John says, whoever claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. John's not just targeting hatred and resentment, he's also targeting indifference. Look at the test he gives in 3.17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. So we might think that we're pretty loving people But John wants us to ask ourselves the question, how does that love work itself out in reality? You might say to someone, I love you, but if they need help and you don't help them, then you don't really love them at all. You just love yourself. If it costs you to love a person by actually doing something more than just saying it and you don't do it, then you really don't love them. My friend always used to say to me, enough of your words, Carl. All I want to see is actions. It was annoying, but it was kind of true. John says, love without words is no love at all. Well, when we don't see love for our fellow Christians in our life, it's a sure evidence that we don't know Jesus and that we should flee to him for grace. But on the other hand, if we do see love, then that gives us that confidence for the day of judgement in the presence of God that we belong to God. But what does that look like? We've seen what indifference and hatred looks like, what lovelessness looks like. What does love look like? Is it love like Shakespearean love? Is it love which turns a man into an oyster? No, the Bible gives us a better model. The Bible gives us the model of Jesus Christ. Real love is love like Jesus loved. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Here it is, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. It's costly love, it's love which doesn't just speak but which pays attention to the needs of others. It's, uh, it doesn't have to be grandiose but it just has to be there, it has to act, it has to respond. When I was in Geelong, a few of us at Bible College joined a local football club and uh, we were a pretty hopeless team and uh, you know, the team never really went anywhere and it didn't help that I was there. But after I'd left, not long, after I'd left, 
the, uh, the reserves team made the finals, uh, which was pretty remarkable. I think we'd been soundly thrashed you know, for every season uh, before that. But uh, I'd left Geelong, but my friend was still playing and he'd been playing all year and he'd been a great contributor. He was a, a great in and under player you know, uh, and pretty hard at the ball, which is always good. Anyway, we made the finals. But the trouble was that the finals, uh, every game that we played during the regular season was on Saturday, but the finals, the quarters, the semis and the grand final were all on Sunday. Uh, and they were all at the time of church. And my friend struggled. He was thinking to himself, what am I going to do about this? Uh, Because I love footy, but I love the church as well. Uh, And he knew that he wasn't going to go to hell for missing a church service. Uh, But he really struggled with what was the right thing to do. And in the end, the question he asked himself was this. Who do I love more? Who should I be more committed to? And he decided that it was the people in the church that he ought to love more, that he was more committed to. What was strange about that decision was not that he made it. Some of us might draw the lines in other places at other times, who knows. The strangest thing was not that he made that decision, but was that everybody in the church who heard that he'd made that decision thought he was mad. He'd given up what was dear and important to him so that he could be there to love them and encourage them and they thought he was crazy. A few weeks ago at the men's conference, Jim Ramsey highlighted a very simple way to love other people in the church. He had a four-letter principle, Bell, B-E-L-L. Be early, leave late. It's a great principle, isn't it? And it's very easy to do. The next Sunday, two people came up to me and said, Carl, we're doing bell. And I thought, praise the Lord. Please realise that it's costly and difficult to love other Christians We can't make decisions based on what's convenient because what's convenient is not what's costly and what's not costly often isn't loving. Thank goodness Jesus didn't make his decisions on the basis of what was convenient or he would have stayed in bed on the day that he was called to go to the cross. No, when we see Christ-like love for our fellow Christians, love which is more than feelings and love which is more than words, then we can put our hearts at rest in the presence of God and about the day of judgement because we see the love of God being perfected in us. So finally then, what do we do? We've seen uh, that love is central Uh, We've seen the the shape of hatred and indifference. We've seen the shape of love. But what do we do when we look at our lives and we don't see that, when when we just see lovelessness? What do we do? Well, the wrong way to respond is to think to ourselves, I need to be more loving and to ask, how can I make myself more loving? What can I do? How can I lift my game? Maybe I can go into love training. 
uh, you know, and do love workouts so that I can lift my game at being more loving. No, John drives us away from ourselves and back to God because God, after all, is the author of love. He's the creator of love. He's the one who can rescue us from our lovelessness. John drives us away from ourselves and back to God because it's the love of God which fuels our love. Look at what John writes in chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Here it is. This is what love is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's not our love that matters. It's God's love that matters most of all. So many of, our, uh, of the songs that we sing in churches are, are songs like, I love you God. And it's not wrong to think about our love for God. But if that's all we ever sing about, that's so shallow, it's so empty. Our first thought when we come to church often is, let's be honest, it's not, I love God so much. Our first thought when we come to church is something like, will the kids punch each other's teeth out in the church and will we make it through to the end uh, without some kind of awkward and uncomfortable moment? Our love for God peters out. Our love for God fades and it grows weak and thin. It becomes deformed and distorted by our self-interest or by our tiredness, by our fatigue. It's easily distracted. It's easily replaced by love for other things. Underlying the fixation of our songs on our love for God is the belief that the way that we fuel and stoke our love is by focusing on our love for God. But that doesn't work. John says that's not the way because we'll never see a great vision of love if all we ever think about is how much we love God. We'll see that thin, distorted, corrupted vision of love. We need to see the love of God and we need to see the love of God more and more clearly and more and more deeply. John says this is love, not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God sent Jesus to take on the curse meant for us, to reclaim us from Satan, to make us pure and blameless and holy, to make us his children, to put our lives and our relationships back together again. Love comes from God. We are unloving people by nature and in order to become loving people, we need to become new creatures, recreations, remade by the power of God in the image of Jesus. Are you an unloving person? God can restore you and make you a loving person. You can't do it. But when we turn back to God, God forgives us for being unloving and he transforms us to make us loving like Jesus. Is your life a barren wasteland of lovelessness? Then fix your eyes and your heart on Jesus. Turn back to God, confess your lovelessness and seek Jesus. Pray and keep praying. Heavenly Father, please help me to know your saving love in Jesus. Let's pray.
Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we live in a world which every day gives us a picture and a vision of love which is quite different from the love that you have shown for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we see a vision of love where we love the people that we like. We love the people that make us feel good. We love the people who love us back. We love the people who are our friends. But you showed your love for us in this, that while we were your enemies, Christ died for us. Lord, we want to confess that our lives so often are ruled with lovelessness and self-interest. Our lives are riddled with resentment and bitterness. And Lord, we want to bring all those things and lay them at your feet. Lord, we don't want to hide in the darkness any longer. But we want to come out and to live in your glorious light. Father, forgive us, we pray. Forgive us through the blood of Jesus and transform us into his image. Make us like him. Help us to love each other. We ask that we would see your love being made complete and perfect in us and that it would grant us assurance for the day of judgment. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.